Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream is a total chocolate game changer. We start with unbelievably creamy dark chocolate ice cream. Then we add different chocolate treats, like chocolate cookies, chocolate cake, or chocolate brownies to make four decadent chocolate flavors. Because sometimes the thing that pairs best with chocolate <laughs> is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy. Save big money on everything. Now at Menards. Make quick work of your outdoor cleaning project with Master Force Outdoor and Landscaping Tools. The 80-volt cordless trimmer is powerful, efficient, and hassle-free. So you spend less time working on your yard and more time enjoying the results. On sale now through May 19th. Check out our wide selection of Master Force tools and see the rest of our deals on Menards.com. Save big money at Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no hollow, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelles, and Happy Thanksgiving to our American listeners. Yay! Gobble, gobble, turkey, turkey. <laughs> I'm Dan. Hey, Dan. I'm Lindsay. Hello, hello. I am... I'm pumped for today's show. I'm feeling good. I don't want to jinx it. Okay. But I want to Babe Ruth it. I want to call my shot. Ooh. Mm, and I think that I have some really good scary stories. Okay. Well, I, mean, I always think that they're going to be pretty scary, know, but today but like, especially, I'm like, mm, I'm feeling it extra. Feel a little saucy? Mm-hmm. I'm okay. in a horror mood after watching some more horror movies. Mm-hmm. I like it. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm not watching more horror movies, and I'm still annoyed that you finished Conjuring 2 with, mm-hmm. I said I would try again. I was so much better without you, though. <laughs> Just by myself in the in the basement in the dark. I know. Everyone knows. I snuck up on you. Oh, yeah. It was on social media. Mm-hmm. It's pretty funny. <laughs> uh, we, got, we got a Wicked Bad Magic Santa sweater in the store at badmagicmerch.com. It's another Sam Hamer original. Go, Sam! Uh, same guy who did the Wendigo tee. Mm-hmm. Uh, dark art in sweater form. And it looks, yeah, super cool. It's really, so really cool. So very excited to have that for the holidays. And you have, you went, you have two stories there, right? I, I know. I, know I vacillated on like two or three, but it's two. And I, I don't want to tell you anything because my second story is a little bit of a surprise. I like that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, for my two, we first head to Mexico City and we visit La Isla de las, uh, de las Muñecas. Mm. I was practicing that so much before the Muñecas. show. Muñecas. It's the island of the dolls. Oh, shit. No, thanks. Oh, it's so good. A small island with hundreds and hundreds of creepy old <sighs> dolls hanging from trees, nailed to Ooh, walls. I already, I already have chills. Yeah, scattered in the brush, etc. Why? And, and it has a tragic backstory behind these dolls. Then, uh, I think the other story might even be scarier, we head to Colorado and, and take a ride down Riverdale Road oh. to check in on a normal 911 call that led to a very not normal encounter. Okay. Riverdale, I immediately think, isn't that a... Uh... It's like, a show. Like a teeny bopper show? I think so. I mean, I don't know that it's teeny boppers. I think like lots of people watch it, but our daughter watches it, so. Yeah, I don't even know who's in it. Uh, re- ready to begin? Can I show off my socks? Oh, yes. Sock time. Yeah. Okay. I got some kitty cats. I don't know if you can really see them. You know, I'm wearing a skirt, so it's like a little precarious. Get, get full basic instinct on this episode. All right, let's do it. Ready? Boom. 
<laughs> uh, <not laughs> wearing tights. Who cares? <laughs> not much setup on this first story. Uh, so we'll get into it pretty quickly now. Okay. Uh, over 50 years ago, in the mid-20th century, a man named Don Julian Santana, a native of Xochimilco, a southern borough of Mexico City, left his wife and child, no one seems to know why, and he moved onto a small island on Tasuilo Lake in the Xochimilco uh, canals. And what he soon uncovered led Don Julian to begin filling this little island with dolls. Time now for the tale of La Isla de las Muñecas, Mexico City's haunted island of the dolls. Not long after relocating, Don Julian made a chilling discovery on the shores of this little island, the dead body of a young girl drowned in the lake. He noticed a doll floating near her, and he took it before reporting her body, and he started down a new path that would last the rest of his life. Don Julian devoted his life to honoring the poor soul of the dead girl in a unique, fascinating, and for some, extremely unnerving way. He started to collect dolls, lots of dolls, and placed them all over the island. He hung the one he'd found near the girl's body from a tree in some sort of attempt to honor the girl's spirit and either keep uh, it from coming back to drown others as she did or to keep whatever spirit caused her to drown from drowning others. Soon after hanging that first doll, he worried that this tribute would not be enough. He felt bad energy around him. He felt the presence of something, and he became convinced that if he didn't appease it, more death would come soon. So he started taking other dolls he'd find floating in the canal, in the lake, dolls he'd find in trash bins or laying about the city, and he'd hang them as well. He even began to grow and then trade produce to locals to get more and more dolls. Weird. Dolls of all shapes and sizes were soon being hung from trees, nailed to trees, nailed to fences, hung upon the walls of the small crude cabin Don Julian built to sleep in and other little shacks he built around the island. Over the next several decades, he collected and hung up dolls by the hundreds. Eventually, Don Julian transformed the entire island into a bizarre and horrifying doll-infested wonderland. And the dolls do look disturbing. Don Julian made no effort to clean or fix the dolls he'd find. Instead, he'd put them up as is, with missing eyes and limbs, covered in dirt, in whatever dilapidated state he'd found them in. Even when the dolls were initially uh, in good shape, the wind and weather and time has turned them into cracked and distorted versions of their former selves. Don Julian also filled his cabin with dolls. So many dolls. And then in 2001, Don Julian Santana died on his island. He was older, hadn't lived the healthiest of lives, and the mere fact that he died wasn't surprising or disturbing. What was unsettling was how he died. He drowned. And his body was found in the exact same spot where he'd claimed for years to have found the dead body of that little girl. No way. Did he finally fail to pay the proper tribute to the spirit he always believed roamed the island? No one lives now on the Las, La Isla de las Muñecas, but you can visit. And many have. Many have brought more dolls to the island after Don Julian passed, uh, some to pay tribute to him directly. Others have brought dolls to continue to pay the tribute he once did to try and appease whatever spirit or spirits may still haunt the island. And many, of course, do still believe the island and its dolls are very haunted. A number of people have reported seeing the doll's eyes clearly follow them oh. around the island as they explore. Some have claimed to watch the doll's heads actually turn to watch them. One random forum poster who listed her name as Veronica said that just a few years ago, in 2016, she and her boyfriend hired a guide to take them to the island. 
they paid him a little extra to not head back until an hour or so after sunset. Ugh, idiot. And Veronica said just as the sun was going down, things got real, real strange. She began to feel the dolls watching her, as did her boyfriend. And they quickly realized they weren't both getting worked up over nothing. Their guide, a man who had been to the island many, many times, but never before at night, also began to become a little unglued. He told them he felt like the dolls were watching him as well. And then he quietly but urgently hissed, Look, over there! The three of them then thought they saw, it was hard to be certain in the low light, what appeared to be a doll starting to step out from inside one of the island's small shacks. Uh-uh. It looked as if it was peeking around the corner, staring at them. And then they watched the creepy little thing, no more than a foot tall, seem to pull its head back behind the wall. Veronica said that just for a moment she wanted to go look inside the shack uh-uh. and try and verify that something supernatural was for sure at play. She had long had an interest in the paranormal, and this was exactly the kind of thing she'd hoped to see when she paid the boatman extra money. As she started to move towards the shack, out of the corner of her eye, she saw something small run across the path behind them. She turned around, they all did, and then they heard something, several somethings, rustling in the trees around them. She could hear things moving above them. She could see small, dark shapes hopping from branch to branch. Birds? Coatis? Dolls? She then thought about how many dolls were on the island. Hundreds, maybe over a thousand. We're leaving right now. Let's go, her guide said. She started to protest. Just a few minutes. Uh-uh. And then she saw a doll hanging from a branch near her spin around <gasps> towards her. And she couldn't blame the movement on the wind. There was none. In the moonlight, she watched its expression turn into something sinister. She could feel its gaze. That was enough. She'd had her moment. She'd seen what she came for, and now she didn't need or want to see anything else. Let's go, her guide yelled. She didn't argue this time. Neither did her boyfriend, who was now almost spinning in a circle, constantly shifting to see what might be happening behind him. The guide hustled back down the trail to the boat, and they quickly followed, still hearing the sounds of movement coming from all around them. Veronica and her boyfriend hopped in and the guide pushed off and then jumped in after them, swiftly sitting down and beginning to row away out from the island and down the canal. As they floated away, Veronica kept her eyes transfixed on the dolls that surrounded the trail they just ran along. She continued to see what she thought were small shadows moving about. And then, in the water between their boat and the island, uh-uh. she saw something bigger surfacing just out of the water. The shape of a human head, maybe? She wasn't sure what was real and what she was imagining. She thought she saw the shape of this human head bob up out of the water, pause, and then slowly sink back down. Was this what Don Julian Santana had been paying tribute to for all those years? Yay, yay, yay. Creepy, creepy. Now look, I got some pictures. I wanted to tell her to get the fuck out, but it was going too fast. The story, the story was moving too fast. Check out these pictures are oh God, so creepy. I'm really anxious. Okay, so here's the first one. A photo from across the canal of the dolls. That looks like awesome. Yeah, yeah. You know day. what's funny though? No, but really from a distance, mm-hmm. if no one told me what it was, if you were just like, oh, look at this uh, island. Yeah. I can't actually tell that those are dolls. Right. Because I, like, right, it's not right in front of me. Yeah, okay, there we go. Zoomy, zoomy. Yeah. Thanks, Joe. Uh, but from a distance, I was just like, oh, it's like people. It's just mm-hmm. people. But at night? Can you imagine? Yeah, it's like some horror art installation. Yeah. Um, here's another picture of dolls nailed to one of the small shacks Don Hooling had built on the island. I mean, look uh, at that. Just the walls covered in these old dolls nailed to it. What a fucking nightmare. 
Uh, here, this next one is a, more of a close-up photo of some more disturbing dolls. So many dolls. Oh, my God. little black around its eyes. I know. I'm like, I, actually, I think its eye might be missing. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, more creepy dolls in this oh. next photo. So many. Just a wall of old weathered dolls. Well, yeah, and like some of them you can really tell uh, on my left. Yeah. There's one that has like a... Its face is really falling apart, oh, uh-huh. but then the body is sort of like this. And yeah, I mean, the insides of dolls that like the soft dolls, mm-hmm, it's just mm-hmm. cotton. So mm-hmm. eventually it just kind of gets clumpy. And and then this last one is Don Julian. Shortly before he died, cuddled up strangely with two little dolls on his island. We got to talk about him. Wow. I have some questions. Uh, yeah. And, th- and these photos uh, for any like new listeners, they're on our Instagram, Scared to Death podcast. Uh, or Facebook, and you, you can find the pictures to go along with the audio you're hearing there if okay. you're not watching on YouTube. So maybe I just was, like, distracted or something, mm-hmm. but why did he leave his family and move to this island? Nobody knows. Okay, so I was like, wait, yeah, what? Yeah. No, yeah, it, nobody knows. Multiple sources, like, it, it's a mystery. And, and of course, you know, I, I feel like, um, you know, it's fair to point out there are, uh, you know, many people who think that this guy was severely mentally ill. I was just going to say, I mean, it sounds like mental illness. Right. Uh, he lived for a long time. I want to say, uh, I don't have this written down in my notes, but mm-hmm. just pulling from the sources and what I remember, I want to say he was on this island around 50 years. By himself. By himself. Middle of nowhere. It's it's, it's a weird location because well, yeah, it's, I guess he was trading almost, with people, so it wasn't... Well, it's almost like it's like it's in like a big park of these like canals and then mm-hmm. this lake uh, in this essentially like a suburb of Mexico City. Hmm. It's like near a huge soccer stadium. It's like, it, so it's like a weird location, almost like yeah. a, not like Central Park necessarily, but kind of. That idea where, that it's surrounded by. Yeah, you're by. surrounded by a massive city. Yeah. So it's both remote and then not remote at all in a weird way. But, but like but from pictures, when you're on the island, you, you wouldn't think that you're in this huge city. Okay. Now in your research, did you come across when Don lived on the island, did mm-hmm. other people come to the island or did people just start visiting the island yes, in yes. his pass after Pe- his passing? No, people would come visit. It's, the visits began, you know, shortly. I, I don't know exactly when, but like after he had put a, f- a fair amount of the dolls, I mm-hmm, guess, around the mm-hmm. island, word got out. I wonder and- if he would charge them if that was how he... Mm-hmm. He would. He, he did towards the end. Yes. Yeah. He 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 would guide small tours. Not entirely insane. <laughs> right. Yeah. Fair. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe he just wanted to make a shitload of money. I don't think he made it. Sh- you know. What, you know and what an <laughs> odd way to like. All right. Here's my business plan. Yeah. I'm gonna I, leave I'm gonna, my wife I'm gonna, and my family. I'm gonna leave my family. I'm gonna live on a small island in the middle of a, a park, essentially, for 50 years by myself, sleeping in a tiny crew shack, uh, surrounded by so many fucking creepy dolls. So I can charge a couple bucks a person for yeah. little tours. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> would you Would you ever go there? Yes. You would? Yes. Would, I, I would, would actually love to go there. Would you go at night? <sighs> you know what sucks about it at night? That is, you have terrible night vision? <laughs> I do have really bad night vision. But, but also um, that you can't just leave. Like when you're creeped out. You can't quickly leave. We have to. You just have to get, get on a little boat. boat, or I guess I mean you could try swimming across the canal. There's no fucking way I'm doing that at night. Um, so wait. Yeah, wh- I would go at night. I would go at night. I, I'm confused. Not by myself. I'm confused why you're worried about at night. Get. Are you nervous about like getting across the island to get to the boat? No, I just don't like how you can't like leave as fast as you'd like and go run in your car. Oh, I see. It's like a, it's like a slower process to leave. Yeah. Well, maybe instead of h- hiring someone who's rowing a boat, maybe we could get a motorboat. I don't know what the regulations are. All the pictures I saw were like little rowboats. Oh, boy. How about sunset? How about a sunset picnic on the island? Hey, that'd be sweet. Okay. See you there. I've never <laughs> been to Mexico City. 
Uh, me either. Actually, My sister spent a few months there. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm, when she was uh, studying Spanish down there, and uh, she loved it. She loved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't. One of North America's have biggest I ever cities, been to if Mexico? not if not the biggest city in North America, it might be. Have I been to Mexico? Yeah, you and I have been to Mexico together for a week. Oh yeah, <laughs> I blocked it out. <laughs> we had a great time. Did we? We did. I'm just kidding. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. I forgot about that. <laughs> I forgot about that thing we did last year. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm ready to leave Mexico and head to Colorado now. What about you? Oh, I don't know. The sunshine sounds better. There's a couple inches of snow outside. <laughs> True. All right. But anyways, I do love Colorado. I have a bigger story to tell. Time now for a quick sponsor break. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What are the things that weigh you down on a day-to-day basis? What kind of stress are you holding on to? Do you spend much of your day going over things in your brain over and over until they are so distracting it affects your mental health? Well, don't worry. You're not alone. We all carry different stressors, some big, some small. When we keep things bottled up, the results can be negative. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest without fear or judgment. It's a place to work through what is heavy on your mind and heart so that you can feel lighter and happier. I'm always holding on to something. It's the way my anxious brain works. I'm continually worried that I've done something wrong, that I've hurt the feelings of someone I love, and that I have let someone down. I'm stressed that I'm not being a good enough mom or wife. I panic that our life will implode at any given moment and it'll all be my fault. Thankfully, I have an amazing therapist who helps me talk through each of these scenarios. After each and every appointment, I feel lighter, happier, and more capable of showing up as my most authentic self. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash scared to death today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash scared to death. Summer is just around the corner. Who's excited? I know I am. With the warmer, sunnier days calling your name, the last place you're going to want to be is in your kitchen, cooking, and meal prepping. Make your life easier with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Factors Never Frozen, Always Fresh Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Think of all the extra time you will get outside in the summer sun when you aren't wasting hours in the kitchen. I think I speak for everyone when I say that the summer is the busiest time of the year. We are all trying to cram in as many things as possible, from concerts to vacations and everything in between. With Kyler home from college and Monroe on her break too, I want to spend as much time as possible with them. And while I truly love to cook, the summer is the one time of year that I'm the least interested in doing that for three meals a day. So I lean on Factor to help keep me healthy and in step with my diet. I'm obsessed with the honey yogurt pancakes for breakfast, the pork El Pastor for lunch, and the cilantro lime barramundi for dinner. So easy and saves me so much time. Head to factormeals.com slash scaredtodeath50 and use code scaredtodeath50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code scaredtodeath50 at factormeals.com slash scaredtodeath50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Thanks for listening, creeps and peepers. We do appreciate it. Uh, Have you ever heard of Riverdale Road? No. Good. 
I want to oh. tell you. I want to tell you about it. Okay. Decent amount of setup before we get into the real scares. In Thornton, Thornton, Colorado, a large northern suburb of Denver, uh, lies a road that may have come. Uh, to be associated, that has come to be associated, excuse me, with dark entities and strange misfortunes. I was pausing there because Thornton, um, it looked really good on paper. I didn't bother to look up pronunciations before the story because I was like, yeah, Thornton. And then I'm like, oh, there's an N in there. It's Thornton. Thornton. There you go. I don't care for that word. Uh, (laughs) That word doesn't care for Hey, uh, uh, anybody listening who lives in Thornton, can you um, appeal to the city to change your name to Thornton? Because I would prefer to say that. I would prefer to say Horton Hears Who, but you don't see me complaining. All right. All right. Let's get back into it, Dan. Okay. So there's this road that's uh, come to be associated with dark entities, strange misfortunes, uh, Riverdale Road, the 11-mile stretch of asphalt that passes through both busy city intersections and more rural areas as it spans most of Thornton. No one knows exactly when eerie stories revolving around Riverdale Road began, but many seem to point to the morning of November 28, 1974, when a home located at 9190 Riverdale Road became engulfed in flames. The two-story brick home, believed to have been built back in the 1860s, burnt almost entirely to the ground. On December 4th, the Denver Post reported that the flame left only some remnants of the walls on the main building plus a smaller structure in the rear and some gates. More on those in a moment. Everything else was gone. The police and fire department investigated, and they couldn't find any reason why this home just suddenly caught on fire. It was a total mystery. Luckily, no fatalities were reported as the home had not been inhabited for some time before the fire, but rumors soon began to spread that someone had died in the fire, that a woman's uh, remains, for reasons unknown, just hadn't been found, a woman who soon would begin to haunt the grounds of the former home. And her ghost was soon reportedly being witnessed around the former home's iron gates. Witnesses began to claim that a lady in a in white dress was now walking down the old driveway and towards the gates, and that sometimes she would approach them and shake them as if demanding to be let out. What? If visitors tried to stop their cars and talk to her, she would abruptly vanish, only to reappear in their rearview mirrors when they headed back down the road. Uh-uh. Something about the appearance of these gates, combined with these apparition sightings, led to the nickname, the Gates of Hell. Another entity, a witness's reported scene, is thought to be the ghost of a jogger. Late one night, the jogger was going down Riverdale Road when he was hit by a car and killed. Dang. And ever since, witnesses have reported hearing a loud heartbeat and footsteps that seem to come from behind them and slowly grow louder as they drive along Riverdale Road. Oh. When they look behind them, they don't see anything or anyone, but the uncomfortable sound of encroaching footsteps and a phantom heartbeat continues. Stranger still, a phantom vehicle has been supposedly spotted. What? Riverdale Road's numerous blind corners have resulted in a number of fatal car crashes, and those car crashes have led to more supposed apparition sightings. One Camaro driver back in the 70s was zipping down the road, impatiently testing his fate with his gas pedal, when he ran off the road, rounding one of those tight corners, and drove straight into a ditch where he came to an all-too-sudden stop and met a sudden demise. Uh. And now, some locals report if you drive down a certain stretch of Riverdale Road at night, a phantom Camaro with one working headlight may pull up behind you, seemingly challenging you to a race, and according to local legend, to accept this challenge is to risk death. The only way to beat the phantom car is to drive so fast your tires can no longer grip the pavement, leading to losing control and flying off the road as you try to round yet another tight corner. That's a terrible idea. Rumors of satanic worship have also haunted Riverdale Road. Along one of its more rural stretches, there are a number of abandoned structures left over from when the area was still mostly farmland. Old chicken coops, sheds, barns, shacks, and other assorted empty buildings. 
And spray-painted on the sides of some of these structures are occult symbols. And inside some of these structures, an assortment of dead and headless animals have been discovered from time to time. Headless chickens, cats, sometimes dogs have been found. (gasps) Stop. Creatures possibly sacrificed to some dark entity. Or at least sacrificed to the idea of some entity, the belief that one exists. Their gruesome deaths adding that much more dark mythology to the area, all making a variety of claimed Riverdale Road paranormal experiences feel that much more possible. And now I'm going to pass along a written account we found of supposedly one of those experiences. No dates were given for when this alleged encounter with the unknown and terrible may have occurred. Time now for the tale of the welfare check. The call came in around one in the morning. On the other end of the line, the caller, she identified herself as Alma to the 911 operator, sounded like she was out of breath. Hi. Yeah, sorry, she panted. And then she told someone next to her to be quiet. The 911 operator, a middle-aged woman named Ruth, heard Alma say, Do you see her? Over that way, I I think, the reply came. A male voice. What's your emergency, miss? Ruth asked. There's someone out here on Riverdale Road. I was just driving with my husband and my son uh, because my son wouldn't go to sleep, Alma said. He'll only sleep in the car. I I think someone might be wandering out here by some old gate. I I didn't get a good look at their face, but they looked really old. It's It's cold out here. If it's someone with dementia, they could get in trouble. Ruth, the dispatcher, thanked Alma. I'll send someone over right away, she said. (sighs) Great, Alma said. And then Ruth heard the other person, Alma's husband, she guessed, say, I'm going to go look for her. Uh -uh. No, no, wait, Alma said. Ruth broke in, straining to hear the call in her head, said, You should both stay in the car. That's exactly what I was saying, Alma said. Steve, Steve! Ruth heard the sound of a door slam shut, and then the line went dead. Ruth sent the dispatch along to the police station, and now across town, Officer Dave Felton climbed into his cruiser. He'd long known about the legends around Riverdale Road and responded to numerous calls along it to take down statements after people had gotten in car crashes or reported stolen property. This was the first time he'd ever been called out on a welfare check at night. He knew accidents happened a lot along Riverdale Road. A dozen fatal crashes just that year and 33 property damage and injury accidents. It was an unlucky stretch of road, but he had never previously thought that any of it was due to anything supernatural. This night... He was genuinely worried about this person the drivers had spotted. The temperature was hovering near freezing, and it was only going to get colder. Sometimes he knew people with dementia tried to return to places they'd lived before. He figured that the odds were good that this wandering person had grown up in one of the houses along Riverdale Road. As he drove, he listened to the radio and smoked a cigarette, his guilty habit. He was trying to quit. The cigarette didn't even taste good, and filled with resolve, he decided, again, that this one would be his last. As he turned on the Riverdale Road, he was smiling in a good mood, confident in his ability to quit for real this time. And then his radio cut out. That was weird, he thought. He couldn't remember the last time that it happened. He tried to turn it on again, and it just flickered a bit and turned back off. He hit the dashboard once. All the lights flashed on and then died. Shit, he said, averting his eyes from the road to punch a few buttons. As the building slowly receded in the passenger mirror and the road got more and more rural, it was difficult to navigate the swoops and turns and fiddle with the radio at the same time. He wedged his knee by the steering wheel and tried to turn the radio on again. He got no response. Then he realized that his cigarette was still burning and was starting to burn his fingers. He dropped it and cursed, looking down by his feet to make sure the cherry had burned out. Then he looked up again, just in time to see a huddled shape on the road, right before his car ran over it, and he heard a muffled thump. Shit. Dave slammed on the brakes. A cold sweat broke out on his face. 
Oh, fuck, he thought. Did I just hit someone? He was a police officer. He couldn't make this kind of mistake. He wouldn't be an officer for much longer if he just ran over someone because he wasn't paying enough attention to the road in front of him. Please be an animal, he thought. Please, dear God, be an animal. He stepped out of the car, turned on his flashlight, and looking with trepidation in front of him, he fortunately did not see a human body. He didn't see anybody. No blood, no huddled shape, nothing. Oh, boy. But he didn't feel relieved, not entirely. He didn't see uh, anything at all, nothing in the road. How, he wondered. How Had he run over something that had somehow managed to crawl off of the road and quickly? And if so, why couldn't he hear it near him now? Had he imagined this entire thing? No. He had literally never experienced something like that before in his entire life. As he swung his flashlight around both sides of the road, he started to feel more uneasy. He couldn't hear anything, but it felt like something was near. It felt like he was being watched. You okay? He called out. I just want to help. Nothing. Not the whimper of an injured animal. Not the sound of anything crawling away from the road. But the feeling of watched. Uh, but the feeling of being watched remained. Then he heard the sound of a distant engine. <gasps> he looked back from where he'd just come from, and lights from another car were now approaching in the distance. And he remembered why he was here. He had a welfare check to make. Still shaken but relieved that it didn't appear, despite what he'd seen and heard, that he'd hit something. Uh, He got back in his car and started down Riverdale Road again. This time, he didn't touch the radio. He scanned the sides of the road for Alma, the 911 caller's car, and he looked at the street numbers. As he looked at the street numbers, he knew he was real close now. And then he thought he saw something dark smudged across one of them, a handprint. When his headlights hit the print on the sign just right, it looked red. Could it be blood? He stopped, backed up, and looked again. No, just a normal sign. A little beat up maybe, but nothing on it that resembled a bloody handprint. You're really losing it today, Dave, he muttered to himself. Then he thought he saw another bloody handprint on another sign, and on the next one as well. He'd wished he'd never gotten this call. That he was somewhere, anywhere else, preferably home with the night off. A few moments later, he pulled up to the spot where Alma had reported seeing the wandering elderly person, and he slowed down. Up ahead, he saw a parked car. Must be Alma's car, he reasoned, and he pulled up behind it got out of his vehicle, walked up to it preparing to take down her statement, but there was no one inside. Shining his flashlight in through the window, Dave spotted a woman's handbag on the passenger seat. Was this the right car? Alma had never told dispatch her license plate info or even the exact model of her vehicle before she'd hung up. Had someone else parked here recently, Dave wondered? He then put his hand on the hood. It felt warm. This car hadn't been there for long. Dave looked in the back seat and his stomach dropped. He saw a toddler's car seat with a sleeping little boy inside. Jesus. Dave's stomach dropped further. This whole scene didn't feel right at all. Hadn't Alma said she'd been driving to get her son to go to sleep? For a horrible moment, Dave thought that the little boy might be dead. But then he saw him, still asleep and wrapped in his blankets, slightly turn his head. Where were his parents? What had happened to them out here on Riverdale Road? Were they helping the person they'd called in about? He hoped that was the case. But what kind of parents just left their baby in the back seat on the side of the road? No shit. He checked the door handle. It was locked. Damn it. He'd have to break the window if he didn't locate this kid's parents in the next minute. Then he felt the presence of something just outside his range of sight. Something towards some old gates just off of the road. Who's there? He called out, looking around. Alma? Is that you? No response. He turned on his flashlight and scanned the area around him. He focused on a driveway leading from the gate to a big house. As he looked at it, some lights inside the house seemed to come on. Uh. 
Maybe he thought Alma and her husband had walked up there and asked the owner for help or brought the person they'd seen wandering to, uh, to wait for the police at this residence. But why do that and leave their kid in the car? Right. What the hell had they been thinking? He was surprised, but not that surprised. He knew all too well that people didn't always behave in the most rational of ways. If there was one lesson he'd learned the most working in law enforcement, it might be that one. He started to walk back to his car to call in the abandoned vehicle with the baby inside when he remembered that his damn radio wasn't working. He decided to try and get it back on, and if he couldn't, he would just have to break the window, put the kid in his car, and head straight to the station. But then he heard a woman's scream come from the house. (gasps) Then another, louder, something terrible was happening. He needed to assess what was happening in that house, and he needed to do it right now. He looked again at the car with the kid inside, saw that both back windows were cracked. The kid was wrapped in warm-looking blankets. He decided that the baby would be okay for a few minutes. The woman he just heard scream might not be. He'd just have to head to the home by himself, stop whatever was happening, use the house phone to call all of this in. He ran towards and then up the driveway, past the gates, keeping his eyes out for anything strange. He listened for sounds. After the second scream, there was only the slight rustling of the trees and the sound of his own footsteps crunching along the gravel. The feeling of being watched stayed. It wasn't an unusual feeling to get out in a country road. Animals were often watching from the bushes, deer, sometimes maybe even mountain cats. But this was different. The thing that was watching him, it just felt smart. Dave couldn't explain it. It just did. Then from inside the house, he heard a crash ring out. He heard something else then that made his skin crawl. It didn't sound sinister exactly, not at first, but he definitely didn't like it. Low chanting, followed by the sound of a baby crying. (gasps) What the hell is going on tonight, he wondered. Was there a full moon? Two full moons somehow? He just left a baby back in the car. Now he's hearing another baby chanting? One hand on his gun, he reached the front of the house, still listening to both the baby and the chanting. Peering into a window, the curtains wide open, there was no way he could have ever expected what he saw next. A young woman and a young man, it would turn out to be Alma and her husband Steve, were lying motionless on the living room floor while an old woman stood above them. Dave didn't like the look of this woman one bit. He didn't like a variety of strange, luminescent orbs floating around her in the room. Was that where the light was coming from? Not actual light bulbs, but from these things? Then he saw that the woman was holding what appeared to be, based mostly on his size and what he was wearing, the baby he'd just seen. What? Alma's baby. How? He ran straight from the car to this house without stopping. How could that baby be there now? It all felt like one big fever dream. No! He shouted. He grabbed the handle to the front door and luckily it was unlocked. He flung it open, ran into the living room, and when the old woman saw him, she looked up and he noticed now that half of her face appeared to be rotting. From the nose down, her flesh had been worn away, peeling off in strips that stuck to her tangled gray hair. One of the pieces fell onto the floor with a soft plop and as he stood there, he saw it start to sizzle and smoke. That was when he realized that the orbs were also smoking and that the room was getting hotter. Alma's son was still crying, his little face beginning to burn bright red, look bright red, not actually burn, sorry, as the old woman smiled at Dave. Burn, she hissed. Burn! For a brief moment, Dave was frozen in place. He quickly snapped out of it and walked straight towards the strange woman. Hand me that child right now! She laughed, and behind her shoulder, one of the curtains was beginning to smoke. Dave now saw that the walls of the house and the upholstery were covered in strange black markings, strange symbols. The woman hissed, they'll never find your bodies. She roared, this fire burns all! 
Dave lunged for the woman, knocking her to the floor, pulling the baby from her arms. She laughed again and incredibly burned down to nothing but ash in front of his eyes in just a few seconds. Then he heard the front door slam shut and lock itself. Holding an outcrying baby, he looked around and saw curtains that were now on fire. The fire was quickly spreading to the walls and the ceiling. The whole house was going to go up fast. He yelled for Alma and her husband to wake up. Nothing. He bent down and shook Alma, and she seemed to come out of a trance, blinking and rubbing her eyes. When her eyes focused on her son, she stood up quickly, grabbed him, and pulled him close to her chest. Steve, she then yelled, and she looked around the burning room. Get up! Dave bent down to shake Steve as well, and then he also seemed to come out of a trance. He quickly scrambled to his feet. Where am I? he asked. No time to try and answer, Dave thought. What would the answer even be? Where were they? We need to get out now, Dave yelled. Let's go. Dave led him to the front door and recoiled when he touched the doorknob and burnt his hand. So hot. They all then heard a woman's voice yell out from the flames behind them. Burn, she hissed. Burn! He didn't look back to see how close she might be behind them. Instead, he kicked the door with everything he had. It didn't budge, but it definitely cracked. He kicked again, and then again. The third time was the charm. Go, he yelled. Go, go, go. Alma and the baby, followed by Steve and then Dave himself, ran out the door. When they got about 100 feet down the driveway, they all turned around. The house was completely engulfed in flames. Strange white light swirled around it. They heard an anguished roar. The old woman? They all turned and ran back towards their cars. Dave told them to get in their vehicle, lock the doors, while he tried his radio again. Thank God it was now working. He called in to report the fire, relaying the address he'd noticed as he'd approached the house. After a few moments, he was told that there could not be a burning house at that address. What? Dave said, incredulous. There definitely is. I am watching it burn right now. The operator told him that was impossible because that house had already burned (gasps) down years ago. The house at 9190 Riverdale Road was gone, burned to the ground years back, and no one had ever figured out why. Dave's mind was reeling. He then heard Steve yelling, and he hung up on the operator and stepped out of his car. Look, it's gone! Dave looked up towards the burning house. Incredible. The fire was gone. Not burned out. Gone. If there had been a fire there, and by the looks of it there was, it had burned out a long time ago. What the hell had just happened? He felt like any second he was going to wake up. Dave talked to Steve and Alma. Did they know who that woman was? How had they made it into a house that wasn't there now? They, of course, didn't have any good answers. Like Dave, they'd heard a woman screaming. First, Steve heard it and ran off. And then Alma, after she hung hung up, you know, heard it, hung up on dispatch and followed. She couldn't believe she'd left her baby. She had just felt so compelled to run towards the house like she had to. She had to follow Steve, and then the next thing she remembered, Dave was shaking her awake. Same story for Steve. Dave knew there was no way in hell anyone was going to believe what they'd all just experienced. And what had they just experienced? They collectively decided that it wasn't exactly a lie to say that the lady they reported seeing just disappeared and they couldn't find her. Or, better, that she went home. She wasn't missing at all. Not totally a lie. Dave called back dispatch, relayed that story, and apologized for his fire report. Said he felt embarrassed, said he saw some strange lights, really threw him, no need for the fire department. He knew he'd catch some shit for this, but not as much as he would if he told the truth and explained what he'd actually seen. And he had seen it, right? He looked at his watch, his shift was almost over. He couldn't wait to go home. He just wanted to go home, grab a few drinks, and try and forget this entire night. But of course he never did. You can't forget a night like that. He wrote down this story years later. He said he got called out to check on several different additional crimes on Riverdale Road before retiring 
all during the day after this incident. A few times, when driving past 9190 Riverdale Road, that same feeling of being watched returned. Each time he wondered, had anyone else also seen what he, Alma, and Steve had witnessed that night? And had anyone died in some kind of impossible fire that no one else would know had ever happened? Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, just a different kind of story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here, I, I do have a few pictures. There is a picture of the original home uh, after it was abandoned, but before it burned, of course, uh, 9190 Riverdale Road. It was a big house. Mm-hmm. And then this- Who are uh, those people? Uh, the, I think those were, actually, I don't know who those people are. It didn't okay. say in that photo. Um, and then uh, this is just a photo just to kind of establish how rural it is, even though it's by Denver, of a stretch of the road at night. Mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm. one of those corners we talked about. Yeah. Um, this next one is a picture of the last woman who lived at 9190 Riverdale Road. I uh, don't know if that's who they saw. I mean, she does look a little witch-like, you yeah. know. I like her hat. <laughs> I don't know who that lady is. <laughs> I was like, what is happening right now? <laughs> that's just a random witch lady I found. That, that would be so ridiculous if that was like literally like the last lady that lived there. Also. She doesn't look happy. Is she a witch? I think somebody added that hat to her. Yeah, because it doesn't seem right. <laughs> <laughs> Something about the whole Pretty thing is a little Pretty funny picture off. to me, though. Yeah. <sighs> That's a crazy story because mm -hmm. Dave, Alma, and Steve, like three people witnessing that happening. According to the poster. Mm-hmm. Whoever yeah, wrote that. Oh, whoever posted it. Like, yeah. Like, was there a movie poster about it? According to the movie poster. My, my <laughs> no, blanket yeah. was um, in the wrong direction. And I, I saw something going on. I knew there. I was having blanket troubles. I couldn't get it to like stay because I had it long ways, long ways instead of. Hashtag blanket problems. Hashtag. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that. I thought you were going to say first world problems. Oh, that too. <laughs> yeah, that story is just. I, I mean, we always talk about like, you know, when it's someone of authority, you know, like a doctor or, uh, you know, someone who is supposed to be more scientific, you know, that always seems to add a yeah. certain element of credibility to a story. Uh, and then for the, the cop to be out there by himself, I thought the cops, I guess, no, they're... And I don't know how long ago this was. This could have been late 70s. Right, because I was thinking, isn't it normally two of them in a car? But I think that's just in movies, honestly. <laughs> I know, I know, because you do see a lot, I mean, a lot of uh, patrol Police officers, cars yeah. with one dude in one all dude. the time. I, I yeah. feel like mostly I see that. Yeah, mostly, but now it's like a thing where if you get pulled over, you know, a second cop car will show up. So right, there might not be two right. people in... Vehicle one, but there's two people. And anyways, anyways, uh, what kind of like threw me is how was the baby both in the back seat and in the house? How did how was any? I mean, it, it was all so surreal. I know, but that that particular detail well, bothered me a lot. I mean, that would be I would think if we're gonna if we're gonna believe that this whole thing could have actually happened. Yeah. Uh, then whatever thing, lady thing, was in that house. I mean, it's not like she had to walk. She right. Could, she could have zipped. I guess oh, she could have zipped. She zips. She zips. She zips and she zaps. She zipped to the car, she grabbed the kid, and then she zapped back to the house. The old zip zapper. But I I think yeah. more probable is that what was in the car wasn't actually the baby. It was uh, just some... Maybe something to keep him there. That's what I was thinking, because then he would have been focused on like breaking in the windows. While the house but, burned. But interesting that the windows were down a little bit, because if you really wanted somebody to focus on getting a kid out of a car, the windows would be up. Mm, you know? True, true. Although I guess it was, was it cold? Because they were saying, like, cold. you know, the blankets. But anyways, yeah, I just think, like, yeah, she, she could have set the car on fire. She could have done so many things to try and get the cop to stay right. there. Anyways. She could have just set him on fire. Fire. Thank God, thank God that 
uh, a spirit like that doesn't seem to exist. They can just burn people alive at random. I bet if you did enough oh digging, God. you could find some <laughs> weird stories. Can you imagine though, if there was just like 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 a like a, like a lot, because like you, could, you couldn't stop it. If, right. if there was like an area of like you know out in some old country road, I mean worse than a city because then we get more people. But if it wasn't oh. some old country house, and literally anybody who went near there just got burned alive. Well, then who would go there? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> stupid what a people. Stupid idea. Hey, let's I didn't say the, it was a good idea. Hey, let's go to the place where all the people burn. Yeah, but it'd take a while because at first, what? oh, at first, if somebody like if a few people burned alive in some random house, you wouldn't automatically assume that a ghost just like lit them up. Well, no, you would but... assume that like yeah, that they were dicking around with something and something. I mean, it, it wouldn't make any sense. So I think a lot of people would come to investigate, and then they would keep burning alive. Uh huh. And then eventually, much less people would come and burn alive. Okay, sure, sure, Dan. I don't sure. even know how. Yeah, they've gotten to a weird place now. This is often like our conversation threads. <laughs> they just go into like, and then one of us is like, how did we get here? Mm, just kind of fizzles out. Fizzle. It burns out. I like your shirt. Thank you. Is we I, dumb? Is we dumb? Me and Joe. Have you talked about that podcast on this podcast? Not for a while. Have yeah. You, have you ever? I think early on. I think, early, well, no, no, that wouldn't make sense because early on we didn't have that other podcast. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's me and Joe Paisley's new comedy podcast. Is it funny? I mean, I, I, like, I hear you guys laughing, so we I think assume so. it's funny. Okay. We think so. What do you guys do Other there? people seem to think so. Like, we, what, we, what makes it funny? We, we make fun of um, people being dumb on the internet, and we make fun of ourselves for being dumb. Okay. I just I just made fun of myself for not planning your birthday shopping very well. Good. Mm-hmm. All right, then. Okay, well, where can you listen to that podcast? We're, we're places where podcasts exist. That's cool. On podcast players. Okay. And YouTube. Nice. Have you heard of YouTube? Boobtube? Nope. YouTube. I don't know what it is. Mm, you need to watch less porn and more regular videos. Pornhub. <laughs> okay. Now we've got to an even weirder place. Cool. Um, okay, before I dive into my stories, I forgot to tell you that I have like a tiny little refresher announcement just about... No, thanks. I'm sorry, please. Let's fucking move this shit. Go. Go, go, go. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, of course. What were you going to say? I, Dan and I do this terrible thing where like... <laughs> If he if he starts to like be ridiculous and yell at me, mm-hmm. then I just kind of do this like real sad meek face, and he's like, "Stop, stop, yes, stop!" It's not fun in public. <laughs> do you remember when we first started dating? Oh my god, yes. What you would do at gas stations? Oh yeah, <laughs> really <laughs> stupid actually, but it was funny. I, would, I mean, I would always break into laughter. It was pretty quick. True, I would like grab like an old school bully. I would like grab Lindsay by like the top of her shirt, and be like you listen to me, and I would kind of like pin her against something. I'm like, give me all your lunch money. Give, give me your money. We're gonna do what I say, and then and then. Me looking like me and you looking like you, we would get not fun glances from strangers. But we were always laughing. True. Well, some, I think there was like, I think it stopped because I think one or two times you didn't laugh and I'm like, nope, <laughs> this is over. But it's like a, it's an ongoing joke because you used to do that to our kids. You used to pick our kids up and put like mm-hmm. in a hysterical way. Yeah, I would pin them against something. Give me your last money. I know. Now Monroe likes to pick <gasps> up Ginger. <laughs> because our dog Ginger will let you just do whatever you want mm-hmm. with her and she's like Ginger give me your lunch money Ginger gets bullied now uh-huh. I think you've done it to uh, the Keiths one of their kiddos mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. very Oliver. funny yeah. yeah. alright well anyways I do have to say like a little thing before I read my stories just we've been getting uh, you know grateful but just getting so many more I'm listening are you? I, I was. What are you doing over there? I just had something on my finger. Oh, I thought you were intentionally doing like a, I'm not listening. Nope. Okay. Uh, we're getting more fan stories. And so just, we've never really set out a ton of guidelines for the fan story submissions. So just as like a little refresher, a little reminder, stories go to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. If you send them to info, I, I don't read them. 
Uh, you're not beating the system. <laughs> I just send them over to my story where Heather takes them and curates them into different kinds of like categories and whatnot for me so that I can kind of dive in and find what I want. And people are asking like, well, how do you decide? Because there is such a giant catalog of these stories, what I tend to do is I just scroll up in the emails to the oldest and kind of like pick from one of those 50 older stories. And then I scroll back to the current date and kind of pick one from around like those 50 so that we're kind of getting like new, old, a little mix. I, I don't know how else to keep it fair. So yeah. it's, it's completely random. Uh you can't like bribe your way into getting your story onto the show. <laughs> I love that people are excited, that excited. Oh my God, me too. Me mm-hmm. too. And I just want your stories to go to the right place so they don't get lost yeah. so that, you know, you do um, hopefully have the opportunity to to have it on the show. And just the biggest thing is if you want to be kept anonymous, you just need to put that right in the beginning, like really clear. Uh, we had a story not that long ago where... They did not say anything about wanting to be anonymous. I said the person's name on the show, and then I got an email and was like, hey, I wanted to be anonymous. It's like, yeah, you well, gotta make it clear. You got to tell me. It didn't say it anywhere in there. So just just letting you know, and and that's kind of it. So not a big deal, but just trying to button that up. Cool. Okay. Do you have your Layla, or I who did. are you squishing this week? I got my little... No, I don't have... Well, Layla's over here. I do have Layla, but I have... I'm going to go with this little strange gelatinous uh Oh, yeah. Squeeze it like face. that. Mm-hmm. Put okay. it in the camera. It's really funny. I will. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, well, so for my first tale, we're off to Mexico. Funny. Funny. We did not talk about it beforehand, so I was cracking up when you said Mexico City. Um, and I, what I think is like really cool about this story is that it's a story that's been handed down from one generation to the next. Oh, very cool. And I very much love that. It's sort of like a little family tradition. And I, I was actually curious, like, did your family have any ghost stories that have been passed down from like I texted my dad and was like hey do we have any ghost stories and he was like no uh, the only one is my great grandma and it's funny this is so random I was just talking to my sister last night not expecting you to ask me this yeah um, about she loves horror too we were exchanging like good horror movies to watch and uh, she said that my great grandma Stell who we luckily got to spend a lot of time with growing up yeah towards the end of her life started to get really creeped out because she thought spirits were appearing in her room each night uh yeah the ghosts of like some of her dead relatives the coming for her basically to like guide her home maybe it was like right towards the end of her life and my family is so funny her daughter my grandma betty was getting annoyed that she was making a commotion about this like she wouldn't want to go to her room ever so she wouldn't leave the living room she would have to be like coaxed into going to her bedroom at night this is like this 95 year old woman what and she and she she was like you know like complaining about these spirits, complaining about these spirits. Sure. And Grandma Betty was like, well, who are they? Who are they? And she listed like her sister and these other people. And and she and my grandma my grandma apparently said, well, just say hi and go to bed for God's sake. <laughs> They're people you know. If a stranger shows up, let me know. <laughs> that sounds exactly like your family. <laughs> so that's the only one. Oh that's my god, your family is very just like pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just like fucking let's go. Oh yeah, very much. Yeah, just shut up and move on with your life. Oh. God, that's hysterical. Well, I don't like. I don't have any, and I don't think that you and I, with our kids, have any. So mm-hmm. I kind of see our show as like our little anthology of stories yeah. that we can leave behind. Yeah. All right. So this story, uh, we we get right into it, as you would say. Hey, Dan and Lindsay, absolutely love your podcast, and I'm a super big fan of Dan's comedy. Oh, that's nice, sweet. Can't stop telling people about it, and I'm still scared shitless from the episode. She likes you. That was nice. a good one. Yeah. yeah. It's a tradition in my family to recount our scary or unexplained experiences when we're all together, especially at our grandparents, which is a definitely haunted property in Mexico. This is the story of the mariachi and the machete. 
every Friday when we were little, our parents would go out with our aunt and uncle to the movies and they would drop us off at their house so that all the cousins could be together and we could be picked up on their way home. This Friday night, I was feeling uneasy and started to feel sick. My cousins and siblings just kept ignoring me. And since I was the youngest, they continued to just call me a baby. I kept telling them that I could smell something foul, like rotten eggs, and I wanted to go home and wait for our parents there. My cousins and siblings finally agreed, and they decided to walk us home. They brought a lantern and a machete to help us make our way through the woods and fields and help us defend ourselves from snakes or coyotes. We took off, and I started feeling more scared and sick because of the dark and because I was falling behind since I was the youngest, thus the slowest. We stopped suddenly, and my oldest cousin told us to be quiet. We all got behind him, and then we saw what he saw. There was a tall man wearing a mariachi outfit, standing with his back to us, just staring into the night. We didn't know if he was drunk or lost, as we were far from town. My cousin called out to him, and when he turned around, we all screamed. He was a skeleton, wearing the clothes and hat, but with red glowing eyes. And he began moving towards us, and we noticed that he had the feet of the devil, one goat hoof and one chicken foot. We ran back to our cousin's house, dropping the machete as we ran. I couldn't keep up with my cousins. Every time I would look behind me, the mariachi man was closer and closer. Everyone reached the house before me and shut the door, leaving me outside. I finally made it and pounded on the door, screaming for them to let me in. We can't open the door or he'll come in with you. My cousins would scream back at me. I cried and prayed and banged on the door as I heard the creature getting closer and closer, stepping towards me and about to touch me when my family finally relented and let me in. We all huddled together in the middle room and prayed. I smelled the rotten eggs again, and my cousin said that that was the smell of sulfur and brimstone, a sign that there was a demon around. We closed our eyes to concentrate on praying harder as we heard the sounds of heavy chains being dragged on the ground as if they were being cloaked around the house. The house began shaking, and the loud roar that followed was deafening. It was like it was angry that it couldn't get to us. After about an hour of this, our parents, aunts, and uncle returned, and the door, and they opened the door, and it all stopped. They hadn't heard anything or seen anyone outside the house, and they didn't believe a word we said. We were in trouble for losing the machete, and we were all sent to go to retrieve it. We wanted to see if we could find any proof of what we had all seen the night before. The spot where we encountered the mariachi man looked like it had been scorched in a giant circle, and smelled faintly of sulfur and brimstone. The machete handle was at the center of the circle, but the blade was gone. Weird. I am the only one left of all my siblings and cousins. I now own Uh the property where we encountered the demon, and I have rental property there. I don't go near that land, but have heard from my tenants about the scary things that happen there and the dark figure that brings the horrible smell and the sound of chains. No priest knows how to handle this, which is why they occasionally try to bless the land and the houses, hoping to keep it at bay. Judy. Judy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's crazy that there's like multi, like, you know, other generations of people seeing this. Yeah. I couldn't get this thought out of my head at first. I mean, this would be like, like to like an abusive level. Yeah. But of like a, t- like a really taking it way too far parental joke <laughs> where like you t- like 
it just made me think about like how messed up, but also satisfying for my sick sense of humor that would be to like, you tell all the kids that you're leaving, all the adults go, you have like the thing burnt beforehand. You have somebody in a costume, you have like sulfur, like stink bombs that you do that, that, and then you have this fucking monster appear where the kids are out in the woods, chase them back to the bar, you know, like the, the house. We should do the star kids. Oh my God. They're too old now. Maybe, I don't ah, know. maybe not. Maybe it's not. actually maybe better that they're older because then they can oh. rationalize the truth when you give it to them. And then can you imagine they're locked in there? You you break some more stink bombs. You Ugh. drag chains around, slam it against the door, and then never cop to it. Well, that's too right, far. right, right. Because that's what would be the, that would be yeah, that would mess them up. Yeah, and I I realize now going back that I missed a small paragraph before the story started. Mm-hmm. Um, Judy says that this is a story from my grandma when she was a little girl that has truly terrified me. With her permission, I've translated it from Spanish. Cool. So it's like a cool, cool, I love that, you know, oral history kind of stuff. Yeah, that's very cool. Man, but what a strange thing to try to like come to grips with that if you saw some, I mean, if you actually saw this strange cryptid, basically, yeah, creature, demonic thing, whatever I guess whatever you want to say, with like a, a, a hoof, like a goat's foot. I know, the feet freaked me out. Because that would be hard to fake. If you actually had like, I mean, you, can, you can't pull off as a prankster having a little chicken foot. <laughs> you can't. No, it doesn't, un- I don't un- think it works. Unless unless you're, I mean, a double amputee. But like 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 the but knees down. Still, then you could get like a chicken foot prop. I mean, that, that's that's a lot. That's, that's, a, that's, that's a lot, that's a lot, of, lot work of work to, to pull off a yeah. joke. Yes. And also, no one else thought this was a joke. Uh, right, exactly. You, you've just gone off on some weird tangent. True, true. It's just, it's just so crazy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and now for our second tale, I feel like I have just like a little surprise. Okay. Um, when I was working on that story, I texted your sister Donna and was like, hey, do you have any like family ghost stories? And she did not tell me that about your aunt, uh-huh. uh, your grandma Stell, but she told me some stories about her kids and some weird stuff that happened in their old house. <sighs> Oh, yeah. We talked for so long yesterday. I forgot. She did reference that there was going to be something. I, I totally spaced that. Yes. I get distracted with other things. Yeah. Yeah. But I, but I have no idea what this is going to be. Okay. Good. Good. And and like knowing uh, the source, I wonder how that will play into this for you. If you'll believe it more mm-hmm. or if you'll just kind of brush it off. Okay. Okay. Um, I love it. And also like what I've realized in reading this story is that it's like somewhere in the Cummins's DNA that you're good storytellers because it's like obnoxiously well-written. Donna used to write all the time. Really? When she was younger. Yeah. Well, she should write a book. She says, it's so sweet. She's a good writer. She, she really is. Well, hello, Lord and lady of spook and players in my heart. Here's a family tale. That's a bit less scary, but altogether true. I've always wanted to believe in the supernatural. It offers terror and comfort. Mm-hmm. If darkness dwells in the shadows and can reach out from beyond, then surely a loved one may as well. That said, those thoughts weren't encouraged in me as a child. We weren't religious, we weren't particularly spiritual, and such fluff seemed to be the stuff of idle minds and empty hands, or so I thought. A couple of potential happenings showed up during my childhood that gave me pause for thought, but nothing seemed scary or left a strong impression being verifiable in any way. Regardless, me, uh, my creeper ways continued through Stephen King, horror movies, and true ghost stories until I eventually had children, and those little assholes scared the daylights out of me by giving me the verification I had always sought. Don't get me wrong, my kids are great and I love them more than life itself, but why do they have to be so damn creepy? <laughs> Anyways, our oldest, Emerson, was the warm-up. One day, my chubby cherub asked me, who all the peoples? From the backseat of the car. <laughs> I looked around, parked at a stoplight. There were no other cars nor pedestrians in sight. I asked him, what people, buddy? 
all those peoples, he insisted, sounding a bit irritated in the tone that only an exasperated two-year-old can make. I again sought clarification. There was no one at this residential intersection, just us. And then I looked in the rearview mirror and followed his gaze and pointing finger as he asked me for a third time who they were. My tiny asshole was pointing at the currently empty yet still well-resided cemetery. My heart froze. I told him no one was there. He insisted they were. The light turned green and I hit the accelerator. I don't know folks in the ground in Nampa, so it was for sure time to go. M didn't grow up playing in cemeteries as I did, and in fact, he hadn't even been to one. And we were pretty chill in our granola ways at the time, so he had barely even seen a TV. All that to say he couldn't have even known what a cemetery was yet, but he was certain that there were a lot of people there that day. He went on to also see an old papa that no one else could see at our friend's Mm -hmm. house shortly after our friend's father had died. So by the time we had our second child, my belief in the supernatural was a bit stronger. At least whatever Emerson saw seemed benign or like people we knew. Then came Bird. Girl's a force of nature that does everything on her own time. And as such, she learned to speak remarkably early. You might think, oh, that's cool. or That's cute. I thought so, too, for about 2.5 seconds. I think there's a reason that littles don't normally speak much. They have disconcerting things to say, and evolution dictates that they keep their creepy baby mouths quiet so that people can keep having kids. Or maybe the veil is thinner for them. Maybe they simply are less jaded and skeptical. Whatever the case is, Bird scared the hell out of me well before she was two and continued to do so for a while. Her sweet little looks completely bellied her creep factor. We lived in Caldwell at the time. We had a cheap but relatively new two-story house in a rough neighborhood that was far too close to a Walmart full of graffiti and had too many broken down cars. But our home was ours and we filled it with good memories and love. The setup was simple. From the family room, you could see the top of the stairs where the small hallway split off to four doorways leading to three bedrooms and a bathroom. It was well lit and easily visible from the ground floor. I'll spare you the details of the rest of the house. One day, Little Bird asked in her tiny one-year-old voice, Who dat white guy? She said, pointing at the landing upstairs. I flippantly responded with something like, Who do you see? Your daddy's the only white guy around here. <laughs> that tiny, curly, blonde head tottered around to face me and simply said, No. She was certain and she was clear. I was, con- I was curious. I sort of thought it was funny. Maybe a little spooky, but whatever. In reality, it spooked me enough to sear into memory if that means anything to you. We were still in our granola phase of limited TV, so Birdie wasn't exposed to movies and shows out of the likes of Elmo Goes to Grouchland. And again, with kid number two, I was left to ask what in the world a toddler would know of such things as ghosts or practical jokes. Birdie went on frequently and quite clearly and asking about the white guy at the top of the stairs. She always pointed to the same spot right outside our bedroom. There was never anyone I could see, but this went on for months. It wasn't daily, but it was often, and she would not be convinced of anything of our possible explanations. She didn't seem phased, but I wasn't digging the idea of an unknown roommate. I consoled myself with the fact that our house was newer, and there was the likelihood there was not the likelihood of a death in the home. I refused to let myself think about it. One night, the boys were out, and Bird and I were alone in the house. It was winter, so the sun set early, and I was slightly on edge. I always was in our neighborhood if I was alone after dark. I remember thinking about that white guy that seemed to be a regular, invisible feature in our house. I wasn't eager to hang out upstairs with him, so I grabbed Birdie's footy pajamas and then headed downstairs to get her ready for bed down there instead. 
I hadn't mentioned any of that to Birdie as it seemed like a weird toddler conversation. Plus, I had proper momming to do, brave game face intact. She was lying on the floor as I was slipping her feet into her footies and zipping her up when she began to ask me questions. Who that monster there? (laughs) Naturally, I responded with baby talk. You're the only monster I see. No, who that monster over there? She asked, a bit more adamantly, her blue eyes sort of fierce. I remember flashing on the white guy and momentarily panicking. But my mouth was faster than my brain and I asked the stupidest question that I could have, just on reflex. Where's the monster sissy? And then she whispered, behind you. Oh my god. And I nearly had a heart attack. As all brave, good peeper mothers do, I mumbled something along the lines of, "Uh uh-huh, silly girl, as I picked her up and sidestepped out of the room, refusing to allow myself to see anything that was behind me. (laughs) I left the lights on and took her upstairs where I decided to embrace the odds of finding the white guy in his known quarters as opposed to deal with whomever else was downstairs. I didn't die, and she continued to talk about him until we moved out of that house. She was two when we moved, and Bird has never said a word about him since. I sleep a little bit better now, but I always wonder what else kids see and why they can see it when we don't, or if they really see anything different at all. Good, good story, sis. I know, she's good. Yeah, Donna's a good writer. She is. I know when I was reading, I was like, yes, 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 yes. Wow. Well, first off, real quick, uh, Donna listens to the show. Hi, Obviously, Donna. Hi, Donna. Love you. She's the best. And she lets Emerson listen to some episodes now. He's getting into horror. So, hey, Em. Love Hi, you too, buddy. Em. Uh, pull your little sister Birdie's hair for me. Hey. Mm-hmm. Dan uh, loves to terrorize his niece. Like, mm-hmm. really, truly terrorize her. <laughs> the sport. She. What does she call Naughty Uncle Dan. Mm-hmm. I practiced uh, my whole t- childhood on her mom. And so Seems I, only fair. I, I perfected how to antagonize the Cummins girls. Okay. Well. And so then I just pass on those blessings to little Eleanor. Yeah. And I get terrorized and Monroe mm-hmm. gets terrorized. It's great. It's super fun for me. Super fun. Okay. But what do you think? We were in the house once. I never we were, like yeah. felt anything. I mean, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, it, that is, who knows, you know, what little kids, I mean, obviously, obviously on the one side you can go like imagination. Right. But then I know a lot of people do believe that like what, what like to use your terminology, like the veil is thinner, you mm-hmm. know, when you're younger. It's like, I don't know, maybe, maybe. I mean, there are a little, a lot of weird stories about that. Mm-hmm. And it is strange that, uh, especially the, the, it's funny, like Birdie is such a, a nut. And I mean that in the best way, but <laughs> she, she has less credibility with me when it I comes know. to like what's out there. But M is but a it, very... But it's two. It's I know, different. She I was, know. She was not the same. Because we have we have all encouraged her precociousness. Yeah, so she, at a, two, I don't think she she's was She's an eccentric quite, little person. She is. <laughs> she's her own person. Uh, and M is his own person, what, but he's much more serious kid. Yeah. And, he's he's and more not, critical. Yep. And not prone to... He's never like... He, well, he's like his dad. He's just steady. He's Very even. steady, even. Doesn't, you know, like um, talk about like seeing things that aren't normal. Like I feel like um, that, that one is the one that is much stranger to me and like disconcerting, I guess. And, and just that they're driving out the road and he was like, who, like who's there? Like, mm-hmm. not like ghost, mm-hmm. not like monster, but like, who is that? Yeah. And to say and that when no one else is around, people. like yeah, who right, are all a cemetery, the cemetery, pe- like right. multiple people. And if I, w- I kept thinking, I was like, who are all the may- people? Yeah. Maybe there was a funeral and Donna just like, couldn't see it. I'm like, no, that doesn't even make sense. Like you would see it when there is a, mm-hmm. a, a burial in process. Can you imagine, like, if that is what what can happen sometimes? Like, little kid, you're driving by a cemetery and you just see all these specters wandering about. Fuck that. I mean, I guess if they, if they weren't seemingly scary, it's like you wouldn't you wouldn't automatically fear them. Well, no, and I feel like some of our fear is taught. Yes. So, mm-hmm. may, maybe it's not scary for them. 
interesting stuff. Good stories. Yeah. I think about Birdie, what's interesting is that um, in their current house, and I talked about this, I think last week or the week before, Mm -hmm. I remember Donna telling me that uh, Bird had something to say about like, you know, like who walks around the house at night? Like, is she, it's not like she's watching scary movies, you know? So it's like Eleanor is only seven, seven. And so it's like, no, 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 no. She just turned eight. So it's like she's just kind of starting to like get into that phase where like maybe she like could watch a little like Disney show where there might be like a little spoopy something. Yeah, yeah. But like all of this, she was too little. It Mm -hmm. just feels too weird. And Bert, if you're ever listening to this uh, show, you know, someday, a couple years later, um, I I want you to know that I I do understand that your name is pronounced, not Bird, it's Turd. (gasps) So Turdy. I uh, hope you're enjoying this as well. I love what I love the little song that Eleanor and I sing to each other. I say like, "Hey, little birdie, don't you look pretty?" And then she mm-hmm. goes, "Hey, fat turdy," just like that's it. That's what I get. I'm like, "Thank you." I love that I've harassed her so much. She literally like I've lost Ugh. all pre- like grown up credibility. No matter what I say to her, she just like she's like the adult now. She I mean, just shakes her head and just, ugh, and just walks off. Well, she stayed with us she's for a disgusted. few days, and I heard that like after when she reported back to your mom and her and your sister about her time at our house, mm-hmm. you're not as bad anymore. She loved okay. your pancakes, and well, that's good. Okay. Own, she takes you a little bit more seriously. Okay, I'm sure you'll undo all of that at Christmas. Of course, of course. Do you have some Annabelle shout-outs you want to do? I do have some Annabelle. So thank you, Annabelles, for supporting us on Patreon. Uh, some quick shout-outs here. Uh, and thanks, everyone, for your reviews and ratings. I uh, want to thank the Annabelle Caitlin Perry, Lindsay Schlitt, Lex Hyrule, uh, 3X01. Yeah, it's just like the handle. Marcus Sundvall, Joelle Buffington, Craig Capizzi, Amanda Lohman, Abby Hamlin, and Mia, no last name given. Perfect. I would like to thank Annabelle's Christopher Doyle, Kimberly Carney, Kagan Mercer, Jennifer Norman, Dave Albee, Ashley Bauer, Devin Fields, Hunter Brown, Liz Davis, and John Edwards. It's pronounced Brune, uh, Hunter Brune, not Brown. What? I didn't even look at it. I was just being weird. (laughs) I also have a few (laughs) spoopy shout outs, you crackhead. A happy birthday to Rose from Cass. To Ashley from Kelsey, to Heather Fix from Brandon Cruz, to Gemma Rose from your mama, Rebecca. I love that um, autocorrect changed mama to Momo. Because we <laughs> call our yeah, daughter, yeah, it just yeah. like autocorrect that. And then a little bit of love to Lorena from Jack and to Johnny from Hannah. Johnny says, thanks for all the support. Oh, and thank, thank all of you. Uh, that is our show for today. Well, uh, actually. Oh, you have more? Joe and I have a little surprise for everyone. Oh. Do you remember last week when um, your story had Michael Loftus in it? Yeah. And then I would, or no, it was like something oh, Loftus. And then I yeah, referenced the... that American Wise Ass thing. Right. Uh huh. Yeah, we're going to show you a little clip of it right now. Okay, you found it? Oh, we found it. Actually, someone <laughs> else found it and sent it to us. So if you're on YouTube, you can, or even if you're not, if you want to like pause and pop over there and go to the end of the show, uh, this is hysterical. Look for the Jake. pirate. Uh, and if you are just following us on Instagram, uh, this was posted to our Instagram. Well, by the time you hear this, it'll be a couple weeks ago. But yeah. Go ahead, Joe. This is a... <laughs> Wait for Dan's big rap. I'm so proud. That's the story of how we beat the Brits. <laughs> 
Now that was that was a rap about the War of eighteen twelve. It, it was a very. I'm surprised History Channel even like greenlit uh, a pilot for that. Uh, I mean, I, I love it, but I mean, I wonder about the reach of a show like that, where a sketch comedy show with historical themes only. I mean, I kind of uh, when you. Were, I guess some shows since have been done in that kind of realm. Yeah, I, think. I mean, yeah. like when you did that, I thought like this is fun because mm-hmm. anything you can do to make learning more fun, right? And and there is proof actually about songs mm-hmm. and how your brain absorbs them. I was just like Hamilton. Yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh, so great. But also, I was just reading like an article not that long ago about maybe some new app or something that takes certain pieces of knowledge and like makes it into a song so it helps you oh very cool yeah i can't remember what it's called but really cool 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 cuckoo okay now you can wrap it up thank you thank you thanks for everyone for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scared to death podcast.com and for emailing us uh, for everything else at info at scared to death podcast.com good job thanks to the keith on social media and badmagicmerch.com for merch design uh producer sophie evans for help with story curation Joe Paisley, Zach Flannery, producing and directing, Zach Cohen, custom sound bed creation, and Heather Rylander for organizing, curating the My Story emails. Uh, Please subscribe to Bad Magic Productions on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram if you want more content at Scared to Death Podcast. And we have a private Facebook group, Creeps and Peepers, with over 11,000 horror-loving members now. Thanks to Liz Hernandez for moderating. And if you don't want to hear more ads, if you want monthly bonus episodes, check out our Patreon uh, and get the entire catalog ad-free, the bonus episode, and more. And enjoy your nightmares, Creeps and Peepers. Put some horror in your Thanksgiving plans if you haven't done so already. Well, we're thankful to have you listening. So oh. thankful. Yep, and uh, check out as we done. And hope you were scared to death. Bye, guys. Gobble, gobble. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through but has no home here within scared to death. I live by routines, especially my same-day delivery routine with Shipped. Because when Sunday rolls around, I'm not scared. I got my shopper on the way with all my favorites. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at Shipped.com. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's OMRI certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow.